For several days he, Paul, was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his, this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, we ask you to bless us on this snowy morning. Our adventures in getting here, we hope, will pale in comparison to the adventure of faith we experience in the midst of a Christian community, in the face of Christian proclamation, and perhaps even more importantly, in the aftermath of declaration of faith. So guide us and bless us. Use my words that they might be instruments in your hands, perfected by grace, and allow us to hear what you need us to hear, to build our faith, to perfect our witness, and to do your work. Pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you were to come into my office down the hall uh, after the worship service, you'd want to be welcome. Um, but you would also recognize that I have a messy desk. Well, truth be told, I have three messy desks in my office right now. They, they sort of have piles upon them. And, uh, you know, there, there are some people who keep a messy desk all the time, and that's just how they operate, and they like it that way. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I like an organized desk. So I've often told people around me that you can get a barometer of how I'm doing by whether my desk is neat or messy or not. Uh, if there are piles, it probably means I've been running a little bit and haven't had time to do the organization that I like to do uh, on my desk. When piles are on my desk, it generally means that... Uh, uh, Rick's a little scattered right at the moment, so, so have mercy on him. Uh, there is one pile in my office, though, that you probably won't see. It's not that large of a pile, first of all, but it's also actually sort of a little bit hidden, but I know it's there. It's a pile of uh, some letters and notes that I've received over the years from individuals who took the time to indicate somehow in some way, by some miraculous gift and act of God, I made a difference in their life. They've written me and appreciation after a wedding or after a funeral or after a particular pastoral encounter, sometimes even after, believe it or not, a message. They've indicated somehow that something happened that blessed them, and they wanted to thank me for it. And I've taken those, and I've placed them in a particular part of my office. And I want to be honest with you, I don't go through them very often. It's just more the fact that I know that they exist. The reason I hold on to them is because on the days which I'm completely convinced I'm in the wrong profession, 
on the days in which there are people who are not necessarily telling me that I'm doing exactly the right thing, and on the days when I am experiencing a certain level of discouragement, it's nice to know that there was at least one day when I got it right. There was one moment that, that something happened uh, that made a difference in someone else's life, and that's, that's why I keep that pile around. Their words of encouragement to me continue to be a blessing. Some of them I've received actually years ago from other churches. The power of someone's encouragement to you can never be overstated. The words that others speak into your ear or write to you on paper that tell you that, in fact, there are things about you that are worthy, that are, that are valuable, that somehow you've been used by God's grace, have lasting value. The power of encouragement makes a major difference in the world. Maybe I'm a little bit like Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, um, if you know your history, um, was one who was a little bit prone to depression. Um, He also lived in a time when actually one couldn't blame him. Uh, And as the Civil War was coming to an end, while there were many who celebrated both the ending of the war and his leadership of the country through it, there were just as many who hated him, despised him, thought he was completely incompetent, and wished him dead. On the night of his assassination by John Wilkes Booth, after his passing, there was found in his jacket a number of interesting little pieces of artifact, a $5 Confederate bill, for example, and eight newspaper clippings and notes that he had clipped out or received from others that said something positive about his presidency. Knowing Lincoln and knowing that he was not an egomaniac, I can only begin to assume, and this is only Rick's assumption, that he carried those clippings because at least he could touch his pocket when he was being called all those vile things and remember that wasn't the only message about him. The power of encouragement. We went to see the movie this past week, Joy, and for those of you who didn't get a chance to see it, let me catch you up fairly quickly. It's a story of a four-generational family, and the story focuses on this young girl who becomes a woman. Her name is Joy. She's born into a a middle-to-lower-middle-class family in terms of economic realities, She's born into what I would describe fairly dysfunctional family. Can I get an amen? She's born into a family that has um, an awful lot of negativity to it. Who's really quick to make sure she knows that she really isn't all that capable. And the story of Joy's life, moving through all the obstacles placed in front of her by family and and business to become something pretty amazing. The very beginning of the movie, there is this picture. It's actually a silhouette. I love how they they shot it. In the background, you see a member of the family whose support was questionable. But in the foreground was a silhouette and a picture of the grandmother, her grandmother kneeling down and saying to this little girl these words. Listen to me. I'll tell you what's going to become of you. You are going to grow up and be a strong, smart young woman. You will go to school and marry a fine young man and have beautiful children of your own. 
And you're going to build wonderful things. And that is what's going to happen to you. It wasn't much. But somehow I believe part of the message of the story of joy and the reason it was shot that way fairly early in the mess of the movie is this simple message. The words of encouragement and affirmation she received from her grandmother were enough to allow her to deal with all of the other negative of her life. It was in hearing her grandmother speak those words to her that she claimed her true identity. It's in hearing her fort- the foretelling of her future as her grandmother saw it, that she received her calling and it gave her strength to become the woman that she became, the power of encouraging words. In the life of joy were given to her by her grandmother. And there were a couple other instances in the movie where the grandmother was the one who came back and showed that support, showed that love, showed that encouragement until the time of her passing. It was even after her death that those words were resonated and spoken about in Joy's life. Joy was able to accomplish so much because what she had in her, what her gifts and talents were, were recognized by her grandmother and affirmed and acknowledged. And in the acknowledgement of that and in the affirmation and encouragement of that recognition, those talents were set free so she could fulfill her calling. In, the, in the Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes that our lives are to be living sacrifices one to another. I think what Paul is saying there, in fact, I'm pretty sure about it after doing a textual study, he's talking about we are called to live with each other in a spirit of encouragement, the way we present our lives to each other as witnesses and sacrifices that we might live to encourage each other in the calling of Christ. The word encouragement in the New Testament is paraclesis. And paraclesis is translated literally as to stand alongside of, to stand beside. To encourage someone is to be willing to put your life alongside them in their quest, in their journey, in their calling. And by standing alongside them, by words and actions, be the encouragement that allows them to fulfill their calling. Paul knew a lot about that. Now, if you know Paul, you may say, well, wait a minute, Paul wasn't that encouraging. Paul sometimes could be a little snarly, quite frankly. That's true. But he knew about it because of Barnabas in his life. Barnabas is one we really don't know an awful lot about, but you need to know about Barnabas. Barnabas begins in the story as Joseph in Acts 4. Joseph hears the gospel proclaimed, and he is converted to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he takes action upon that faith. You heard about about, the Lord guiding us in this uh, commitment, this covenant prayer. Well, Joseph had such a conversion experience that he was converted to actually act on this new form faith and to make a significant contribution of what he had. He sold his field, the proceeds going to the ministry of the work of the gospel. He came alongside of those who proclaimed the gospel message to him, and he became their encourager. He also had a name change. He went from Joseph to Barnabas. You who know the Bible know that 
a lot of times when significant moments happen in the lives of individuals, their names change. Saul becomes Paul. And Joseph here, upon proclaiming faith and giving this level of encouragement, becomes Barnabas. And we hear about Barnabas again in Acts 9. Paul, Saul, is converted on the Damascus Road. Converted from a non-believer to a believer, converted from one who is persecuting and killing Christians to one who professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But you can understand, the church was not necessarily certain what he was about. He had just been leading the persecution against so many, and now he's the one saying, I want to profess Jesus Christ. Uh, They weren't ready to embrace him yet, but it's Barnabas who goes to him who puts his life on the line, perhaps Saul, Paul is now a tra- is a, is a, is a spy or, or conniving something to do more persecution. But Barnabas goes and discovers the sincerity of Paul's conversion. And he knew about the sincerity of conversion because he had experienced it. And he befriends Paul. He begins to introduce Paul to the Christian community And he places himself alongside Paul. He goes with Paul on missionary journeys that they could work together. He takes Paul up to Jerusalem to the Christian council there where he was in high suspect not only because of his past, but because of his propensity to be with all those Gentiles. And Barnabas goes to be the bridge between Paul and and the Christian leadership in Jerusalem and creates relationship so the church might embrace this broader mission that Paul had been given by God. It's amazing to consider what would have happened had Paul not had a Barnabas. What might have changed if Paul had never had someone be the one to come alongside him to help bring him into the Christian leadership, the Christian community? If he had not had Barnabas to walk alongside him in those first missionary journeys, the entire landscape of the Christian community for generations may have been affected if not for Barnabas' words of encouragement and actions of encouragement. It's interesting. I want to give you the full story. Eventually, Barnabas and Paul split They went separate ways. Do you know why? There was a young disciple, his name was John Mark, and and he went on one of those missionary adventures with Paul and Barnabas, and he was supposed to do something, and quite frankly, he lacked the courage, and he sort of bailed on him. He left. And later on, they're getting ready to go out on mission work again, and John Mark, who's attempting now to reclaim his mission and who wants to give it another try, Paul says, I'm sorry, you're, you're not up to the task. You, you don't deserve to be here. We gave you your shot. I, I'm not taking you with me. But Barnabas, Barnabas, that word of encouragement, said, well, Paul, we've got to give this guy a second chance. We've got to give him an opportunity to succeed. Paul says, no, I'm not going to do it. Barnabas says, we've got to know. And they split their ways, Paul going this way and Barnabas going this way with Mark, John Mark. Because he was about a ministry of encouragement, even if it meant that he had to separate from someone he'd been encouraging, because he couldn't stop encouraging. The church is called to be a place of encouragement. 
The church ought to be known by everyone who gets close to it or even bumps up against it as a place of encouragement. But I think it's interesting to realize so much of the world doesn't see us as encouragers. Too many in the world see us as judgers. What do you think about the church? They're judgmental. What do you think about the church? They tend to put me down. What do you think about the church? They tend to judge me as not being worthy unless I conform to whatever they think I ought to do to be able to be like them. We have given the church such a negative image to the world. And instead of being seen as a place of encouragement, we're seen as a place of people who sometimes will give encouragement to each other, but no one else. And quite frankly, sometimes in other churches, not this one, there are negative people. Sometimes in some congregations, not this one, there are people who have a tendency to see the negative and want to talk about it, even when they don't know what they're talking about in other churches. Sometimes in other churches, there are people who believe that the worst is likely to happen and we need to make sure we don't do anything outside of the norm because you know it's going to be bad and people who would love to bring other people down and our dream squelchers in other churches. Church is called to be a place of encouragement. A place that says to each other, You are a child of God. A place that says to each other, the impossible is possible in the name of Jesus Christ. But let me be clear. Encouragers in the gospel sense are never simply dream casters without any reality check. Because the gospel is always about truth. Always about truth. Peggy Beach has an amazing golf swing. I've golfed with her. She is a crazy good golfer, and I mean it. I've loved playing golf with Peggy Beach. But if I were to go up to Peggy Beach and say, Peggy, you just try a little harder. You can get it on the LPGA. That's not encouraging. Because neither she nor I should ever aspire to do anything professional with our golf game. Amen? Amen. So to encourage somebody for a mission that makes no sense for what's really their calling is not encouragement. Encouragement has to have a sense of understanding of who the person is, of perhaps what the call of God is upon them. And let me encourage them in that walk, in that task. The grandmother did not say to her granddaughter, you could be the world's greatest actress or the world's greatest singer She knew enough about her daughter. She had this ability to create things out of paper. And one day she was going to build amazing things. Those words of encouragement were specific to the person that was being encouraged. And they were without manipulation. The words of encouragement were never intended by Barnabas to get Paul to do what Barnabas needed Paul to do. Simply for Paul to become who Paul was supposed to be. If someone's encouraging you, simply so you can fulfill their dreams for you and not God's dreams for you. That's not real encouragement. Encouragement is not always sweet. I think there's some sense that encouragement should always be, oh, you're such a sweet young person. 
Oh, we just think you're just the nicest guy. Sometimes the most powerful words of encouragement we can give to each other are the words that speak truth that sometimes doesn't feel good. Words of encouragement where we want the person truly to thrive in the way which God is leading to thrive. And so sometimes you have to call them out. Sometimes you have to say things. But here's the difference with what I hear so often in the world. People love to jump on each other and leave it primarily as an opportunity to leave a residue of blame or shame or guilt or negative. Encouraging words, even the harsh encouraging words, always build up. You may have to, you know, take a second to respond from what someone says to you, but you understand they care about you enough to trust that you can handle the truth that's being spoken to you. So they're going to speak the truth so you will become what you are called to become. Jesus himself was an encourager. Think about the thief on the cross. I mean, my goodness, they're dying. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You notice there was no um, new member class to join to get to that? You notice that... that, uh, uh, the thief on the cross does not have to identify a Calvinist or Arminian theology. You notice that Jesus looks up in a tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, you. Encouragement. You notice this woman of some questionable background comes in and anoints him with oil, and Jesus says, She's the testimony of faith. Encouragement. I want to be honest with you. I guess I have to reveal everything. You know about spiritual gifts? Have you heard that term before? Paul writes about it. The believers are given spiritual gifts. And there's all kinds of spiritual gifts. One of them is a spiritual gift of encouragement. And you need to know that's what I have. When I take the spiritual gifts inventory, one of the top ones that always comes up, I have a spirit of encouragement. That's sort of what I do not because I'm always all that positive about you. I just think I ought to encourage you anyway. No, I'm joking. But in writing about the gift of the spirit of encouragement, someone said this, that there are three movements of the spirit of the gift of encouragement. The one is willing to sacrifice yourself for the welfare of others. I've already talked to you about that. Joy's grandmother would have done anything for her granddaughter. That in encouragement, you see yourself as the servant and not someone who's to be served. A grandmother did not lord anything over joy other than unconditional love and acceptance. And gifts of encouragers, those with a spiritual gift of encouragement, oftentimes it says, risk, support risky ministry ventures. <laughs> yes, indeed. Because Joy's grandmother saw something in her that she had no idea. All of how it would come to pass. But she knew more in her life could occur if she simply could encourage her granddaughter. And if you saw the movie, or if you go see the movie, you'll understand how in fact that was made true. I want to suggest to you that we are called to be, by the gospel witness, encouragers. The movie Joy brought that out to me very profoundly. 
The word of encouragement that we're called to share with each other is not remote, but it's standing alongside people. It's willing to walk with them. Encourage them sometimes as much by our presence as our words. What is the voice of encouragement that you've had in your head and in your heart? Who is your encourager today? Who said something to you once or did something alongside you to let you know they were in it with you and that you could do more than you thought you could do? Do you have that person? Have you thanked them lately? Have you acknowledged the power of their words and their spirit in your life? Who do you need to encourage? Who do you need to get off their back? Who do you need to quit showing them the negative of their life? And who do you need to start affirming in a way that allows them to grow and feel safe and feel loved? and being able to risk. Right now, we've got youth in the breakfast club watching. They represent some of the kids who are here and the youth in this congregation, and if we are doing nothing with our youth, we at least better be giving them messages and words of encouragement and tools to know how to accomplish the task that God has given them. I'm sorry, it's easy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are you a grandparent? Man, if you aren't your grandkids' biggest cheerleaders, I invite you to go into prayer. And are you a parent? Oh, I get it. Trust me. (laughs) There were days my daughters did not see me as their cheerleader. And (laughs) And there were some days I didn't feel like cheering for them, okay? But over the broad spectrum, do they know you're in their corner? At the end of the day, you're the one that will stand beside them. Listen to what God is inviting you to do through this message. And then go do it. But if I may humbly offer this, can we together work really hard and surrender ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit so that this place becomes a place that is known as a place of encouragement? Where the positive is not left unspoken, where the affirmation is not left on the side of the room, and where the inclination to speak negatively to stop by prayer. Critically, yes. Truthfully, always. But always. Always. My dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, with encouragement. Amen.